Good morning. It is nice um, to be here. I love this church. I'm so glad, so thankful to be here. Um, again, my name is Wes. If you don't know me, I am Pastor Dan's son. If you don't know Pastor Dan, um, yeah, that's fine. If you don't know Pastor Dan, just add like three inches to me, about 30 years and some glasses, and maybe, maybe a little less on top, probably a little less on I hope. Anyway, so um, I'm glad to be here. Um, I believe it was Eric asked me if I'd be interested in speaking back in January, and immediately God put something in my heart, something that I had been really thinking about and God had been working on me with for quite some time, uh, something he had been showing me and um, really kind of a, a, rev- a revelation excuse me, to me. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Hopefully it's going to be encouraging. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So um, I want to go and start by going over and I guess introducing maybe to some of you one of my favorite sayings of all time. It's something that I say all the time. It's something that people say all the time. I hear it on TV. I hear it on radio. When I'm talking to people on the phone, people say it. Any guesses? It is what it is. It is, what it is. Stop it. That's the title of this sermon this morning. Stop it. Do you guys, who says stop it? I, me, thank you. I just said it to Rob on the way up here. He started to try to get people to clap. If we start clapping as a congregation, I want to let you know Rob probably started it. He's back there. If you hear one person clapping, it's Rob. He wants you to catch on. Don't do it. You're encouraging him. I'm telling you. Um, so if you don't know much about Stop It, I, I mean, you might wonder why am I even talking about Stop It this morning? Like, what is, it, what is the deal? Um, I love this phrase. I just do. It just cracks me up. Um, and I use it a lot of different ways. And here's an example. One of the ways I'll use it is um, when I'm playing with my son. If you know my son, he will be four and a half in May. His name is Isaiah, and he's an ornery little guy. And um, he is a Uno master, okay? Who plays Uno? Who knows how to play Uno? All right, so we know how to play Uno. That's good. So he loves to play Uno, and he, he is um, very competitive about it. He doesn't get upset if he loses, but he wants to win. And we play a certain version of Uno. We play, you know, you deal seven cards, you play with seven cards, and uh, when you get rid of them all, you win. Well, to mix it up, we deal two cards every once in a while. We call it a speed round. And you have just two cards, so the game can go very quickly, or it can take forever, like Uno sometimes does. So I don't know how it works out. I don't know why it works this way, but he gets almost every single draw four. I don't know if he's cheating. I don't know what it is. But even when I'm dealing, he will get to draw fours, okay? That's just the way it happens. And when we're playing speed, speed uno, he's got two cards. Draw four, he changes the color, lays his other card down, game over, okay? Just like that. That's just how it works. And he's one where he's not going to say it like that. Draw four, daddy. I'm going to change it to orange. And he lays down his orange. We have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, so you have those colors. Um, he'll, he'll be, this is how he does it. You see him kind of like this, and he's waiting for me to flip the card over. Draw four! Like, just right in my face. Draw four, change it to orange, boom. And then he looks at me and smiles. And I'm like, and, and that's when I'll say, stop it. Just stop it right now. You know, you're killing me. Stop it. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a, joking, it's a joking kind of phrase. Sometimes at work, um, I'll use it if you ever work anywhere. You know that sometimes it's a little irritating. Sometimes you get a little frustrated, whether it was on the way to work or while you're at work. Sometimes things just kind of irritate you a little bit, and it'll happen at work, and guys are kind of bickering about things that don't really matter. And, um, and so you just kind of, look, just stop it. Just, that's not a big deal, what you're worried about. You're, you're majoring over minors, just stop it. And then sometimes you have to use stop it when it's important. Uh, our kids love to get the mail. I don't know what it is. The mail is amazing, but the mailbox is by the road. I don't want my kids running to the road. So they want to go, though. They want to do it. So when they're running to the road, what are you yelling? Stop it. Stop. Hey, stop it. You know, Zaya, stop. Stop it. And maybe you'll get through, right? Maybe they'll turn around and wait or something. It's possible. But uh, you have to use it in a more serious tone. So I use stop it in many different, ri- di- many different ways. And I think this morning, we all don't say those words, stop it, 
But we all have something that we use, something when we're joking, something when it's serious, we're trying to get someone to, you know, when I was growing up, it was knock it off. That's what my parents said, knock it off, you know, you know, a flick or my dad would point and he would kind of, see, he's not here so I can talk about him, it's just the way it is. But uh, he would, he would point and he would push his finger and just put it right here and just apply enough pressure where you couldn't back down because I'm, I'm not going to, you know, oh, that hurt dad. You know, you stand there, but he's just kind of talking to me, trying to get his point across, knock it off. You know, that's kind of what he did. Everyone uses a phrase, something like that. And I think this morning, what God was, was really showing and sharing with me is that we do this and we say this with God. We tell him to stop it. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's a joke. You know, and I hope this morning that we have a relationship with God where we can joke around, where we can have fun with him. An example of, of something, and, and the way I'll use this with God is, again, Isaiah. The kid is just really smart, okay? And I know a lot of kids are smart, and I'm biased, obviously. But um, going to the mail, okay? Just, just this week, Nikki, if, if you don't know, we have three kids. Isaiah's will be four and a half. Victoria will be three in May, and Elias is six months. So Nikki has Elias. She's putting him in the van. And when, this, when I put the kids in the van, I leave the garage door closed because that's an escape route, right? They're going to be out the garage door and running around the neighborhood. And she likes to let them, because she's a lot more, you know, I guess compassionate or whatever. She opens the garage door and lets them, so they can just kind of go out and they look around and they just like being outside. So she does this, and Victoria and Isaiah are standing right there. They're always like right there where she can see them. She's putting Elias in the seats, and then those two just disappear right out of eyesight, just boom, right around the corner. And so she's hurrying up, trying to get Elias in there, and then she goes, and she's yelling for him, you know, Isaiah, TT, you know, where are you? Come back here, kind of a thing. And she goes out of the garage, and she sees them running towards her from the road. So that's not a good sign, okay? So she's kind of getting into Isaiah a little bit. What are you doing, you know? You know you're not allowed by the road, and going on and on, you know, you're, you could put yourself in danger, cars are coming, all those kinds of things you tell your kids. And he looks at her and he's like, Mama, I look both ways. <laughs> Which is funny and it makes me laugh. So, but being a good mother, she doesn't let that affect her, right? She just bounces right off that one and she's like, but you know what? Victoria is following right behind you. Every single thing that you do, she is gonna do. She mimics every single action. And he, without skipping a beat, Mama, I looked both ways. TT does what I do. She looked both ways. She's fine. We're fine. And it's one of those moments where she's telling me the story later and we're laughing because, I mean, what do you do? But, you know, we look at God and we're like, stop it, God. Because I know you're up there looking down, knowing that we are completely overmatched by this four-year-old who is smarter than both of us, and you're having a good time of it. You know, like, we appreciate it. Stop it. Um, so I hope we joke around with God and, and we make it fun because he is relational and he loves to laugh. He created laughter. He created fun. But then I think sometimes it's serious with God and we, we tell him to stop it. And, you know, we're really going through something in our personal lives or a friend is or a family member or someone that we know at work or someone and it's a very, very difficult situation and we tell them stop it we tell god stop it and this is what i want to talk about today so if you can open up your bibles turn to job 40 that's where we will be reading um most mostly from it's one of the hardest things to do in life as you're turning there um what do you guys think what's one of the hardest things to do in life broad question, right? It's kind of a hard one. Um, I would say wait. Waiting. Waiting is one of the hardest things to do. Practicing patience on a daily basis is just so, so difficult. And I think it starts when we're little. Um, we're very small. It's hard to wait for things, right? But we really, the things we're having trouble waiting for, they're not that big. If you want to go ahead and show that first picture, uh, I think you guys will appreciate it. So, that is my family. 
You can see I'm in the middle there in the blue. My brother Aaron is on the left with the glasses. Nathan is on the right, and your pastor and pastor's wife. Um, obviously, that was a long time ago. I think I'm six in that picture. So if anyone's counting, it's 25 years ago. Yikes. Um, I think, yeah, I think my mom's hair in this picture is kind of like um, stick figures, and then they draw the hair, you know? That's almost, that's almost exactly, exactly what it's like. My dad actually has hair, so we're going way back uh, for that one. But as a toddler, as a, as a young boy, I remember we would drive, we lived here, we would drive to Belden Village, and that's what, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, bad traffic, 10 minutes, if you don't have any lights, and it was the longest trip of my life. It was miserable. It just took forever. I would complain. I would whine. Are we ever going to get there? All those things that, you know, parents hear, that was me. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't, couldn't wait that long. Christmas Eve was a horrible night because Christmas was the next day, and I couldn't wait. Me and my brother Nathan, we would get up, probably, we would go to bed barely, you know, at like midnight. And this is being little. My parents didn't care that night. And then we would wake up probably 3, 3.30, Go downstairs, turn on some Kenny G Christmas. Anyone? <laughs> Kenny G Christmas? Thank you, David. And uh, we would play cards until we would try to wake my parents up about five. That wouldn't work. They'd tell us to go to bed, you know, threaten us, whatever, do whatever parents do. And then we'd get them up about six. Um, but it was so hard to wait. And then getting a little older, Eric, if you want to show the next picture, um, that's, you can see a teenager there. That's picture's actually taken at camp. Uh, I believe that's at Big Prairie. Did anyone go to Big Prairie? Yeah, all right, all right. Um, so that was before we moved our camp to Heartland in, uh, near Columbus. Um, but I remember that as a teenager, it was hard to wait as well. You had a lot of things you were looking forward to, a lot of things you're anticipating. Driver's license, you know, maybe you get a girlfriend, maybe the end of the nine weeks or semester, maybe finally I'm going to graduate high school, I'm going to be done with this, I'm going to be a real man. You know, I'm going to go out on my own. And a um, lot of things, and it was very hard to wait, but I remember as a teenager being able to wait if I really wanted to. And an example of this is actually at camp. That's why I wanted a picture from camp. Uh, we had, um, we played a lot of games. If you don't know how our camps work, uh, we set up teams. All the kids who come, you stay in a room, and they divide up the rooms into teams. And you have a name, whatever the theme is. We had like fast food restaurant themes one year. Someone was Rally, someone was Burger King, someone, you know, just a team name. And, and then you would have the services and all, and all that kind of stuff at night, but during the day, you'd have a lot of games, a lot of teamwork, teamwork building exercises, a lot of camaraderie, all those kinds of things um, throughout the day. And they broke it up into teams, and the teams played games against each other, whatever. It's one game that we played. It's, uh, it, it just sticks out in my mind, and you'll obviously, you'll know why. Um, before, uh, all right, disclaimer, camping or going to camp, that's been about 15 years ago, it's different than going to camp today. So if you send your kids today, you're not going to experience, they're not going to experience any of this stuff. Okay, some of it they will. Because nowadays you get muddy, you know, you get hot, you get sweaty, you get tired. Um, but when I went to camp, it was the years before, you know, everyone started um, suing everyone for everything. You know, the, co the coffee at McDonald's and suing McDonald's. There wasn't a lot of lawsuits and stuff like that. So they did, they did some crazy stuff that they probably wouldn't get away with these days. Um, but I remember one race, and um, again, I was probably about 16 at the time. And, and basically, if you have the starting line right here, you had your whole team lined up just in a straight line behind it. And we probably had like eight teams, probably 30, 40 kids on a team. And the object was there was a big obstacle course in front of you. And everyone would go at the same time, same obstacle course. And so, you know, people be bumping into each other, whatever. But you go, and it's one person at a time. So you run at the very start. First person goes, goes through the obstacle course. And then you have to go through the finish line, and you sit down. Okay? When you get through the finish line, the next person on your team goes. Okay? Does that make sense? Pretty, pretty straightforward. So when everyone is sitting down in a line on the other side of the obstacle course, your team is done. And whoever gets done first wins, first, second, third, you get points, all that stuff. Well, at camp... They're not just going to have an obstacle course because that's not fun. You know, that's not extreme enough. So they set up two swimming pools 
One was here, right in front of you, and one was right behind that before the obstacle course. And if you're at camp and they set up swimming pools, you know something, something fun is coming. Fun. Um, and what they did, the first swimming pool, they put, they just filled it with mayonnaise. Okay, that's a great start, right? Mayonnaise. Okay, and what you have to do is you have to dive into the swimming pool, and then you have to flip around once, and then you can get out. And then that leads you to the second swimming pool. And I'm sure your minds are wondering what, what they had in there was kitty litter. Okay, so, so you dive into the mayonnaise, then you dive into the kitty litter. That's nasty. It's just nasty. Then you get up and you run through the obstacle course and you're running, 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 running. And then you get through and you sit. Okay, and then the next person goes. Well, you have 30, 40 people. That's going to take 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Okay, it's the middle of summer. So it's 85, 90 degrees. And I remember the day, there were no clouds, open field, sitting on the ground. So what happens with, to a mayonnaise kitty litter concoction? You might not know, because you may have never gotten those two together, but it just starts to cake on your skin and bake and get in all your little hairs. And at the kitty litter station, there were two people at each um, swimming pool who were kind enough to put their hands in there and like start throwing it on your head and all over you, okay, to make sure you got it everywhere. So it's up your nose, it's in your ears, it's, your eyes are kind of, one eye's like, you know, shut almost because it's all over, down your shirt, up your shorts, it's everywhere, it's your shoes, all that. So it's nasty, and you're sitting out in the sun, and it takes the rest of the week basically to get all that stuff out because it's just, it's just all over. Um, so that's nasty, but then I've, I left out one detail that just takes it over the top, is that at the beginning, as you're standing at the line, the, your team captain or whatever puts a big chunk of spam in your mouth. Okay, spam. Anyone like spam? Okay, well, it might be, be too bad. Now, this wasn't for eating, okay? You were not allowed to eat it because at the end, whoever still had spam in their mouth, you got bonus points for, okay, for holding it in your mouth when your team was done. So you have to do the obstacle course with spam in your mouth, into the mayonnaise, into the kitty litter, running around, and then sit and just bake for like a half hour. Um, and so while you're baking, you know, you have, you're holding something in your mouth, so your the saliva just starts to go down your face. And, I mean, it's very disgusting, and why would someone want to do this, you know? Because it's at camp, and it's worth it. And so even in a nasty situation, we, c- we could wait. There were hundreds of teenagers that could wait and be patient because it was worth it. You know, there were others with them. They could, we could, we could um, wait. So as an adult, you know, as you grow up, it's hard as a toddler, it's hard as a teenager. As an adult, I think we realize, a lot of us, that waiting is just part of life. You go to a restaurant, find out how long you're going to wait. You're driving in your car, you've got to wait at the red light, wait at the stop sign. Isaiah still doesn't get that. He just wants me to go. Go. Can't, buddy. Um, go to the airport, you're waiting. Go anywhere you're going to go, you're going to have to wait at some point. And it doesn't make it easy, but... We, we still have to do it, and our attitudes can fluctuate, right, from time to time. Um, now, there's a problem because our society is a very now quick, fast society, and so when we are impatient, there's a real conflict there because we, we want to go and want to do, and our days are just jam full, but we can't get everything done. We're stuck, we're, and so we're in this constant you know, I need to go, but I can't. I need to go, but I can't in this conflict. And so I found this video clip that I want to set up for you because it really shows, it's funny, it's, it's actually hilarious, but um, I really want you to pay attention to, um, I guess, what's going on. There are two characters. They're walking into a BMV, okay, which we all know those are fun. And what's happening, you watch the one character because that sums up our society these days. Always in fast motion and we can't, can't really get anywhere. Go ahead, Eric.
So that's pretty funny. Um, but I think it clearly shows the, uh, the hurry that we're in all the time. And anytime we have to actually wait for something, sometimes it can be very, very difficult being in a hurry constantly. So think about our culture. Everything is faster. Everything is quicker. Um, a lot of Im- improvements, innovations uh, these days. Some, I mean, there's obviously new stuff being created, but a lot of innovations are... Um, simply finding something that's already working, making it faster. Uh, think about Netflix, okay? Do they make movies? They do make some shows and movies now, but generally they are just providing you access to thousands of movies and shows at the tip of, or at the click of a button. Just, just like that. You can watch something that, and then you can, oh, I don't like that, and move on to something else. I mean, it's just instant, instant access. Uh, think about like Amazon, anything that you can buy online, just at the click of a button. I mean, Black Friday, which is now Black Thursday, right? Um, it's uh, my brother and sister-in-law, they don't even go out anymore. They just go online and they just shop. They shop from their PJs, they're sitting at home, and then everything's delivered to them, you know, within a couple of days. I mean, it's just, it's instant. And we're, where we're going are drones. Um, I know in some places drones are, they're, they're kind of new, but they're going to be used more and more to deliver packages, so that UPS doesn't have to come, so that nothing like that. It can just, a drone can pick it up, fly over the city, come, come and drop it off at your house. I mean, it's just instant, 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 instant. The faster you can go, you know, everything is, is competitive and racing, and, and it's just our society is just geared to go, 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 go. And there's a problem with that because it's a conflict that we're going to keep running into. That's not how God works. Now, he does do things quickly. He does do things instantly. When someone accepts Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, boom, their name is in heaven. The Holy Spirit enters them. I mean, it's just, it's instantaneous. He heals people. He delivers people. But there are some things that he does do that does take a very long time. He's not concerned so much with speed in some things. You know, I think of, when I think of speed, you know, I think of like pizza delivery or Jimmy John's, right? The freaky fast delivery the commercials, someone calls, and then they're there like instantly. That's not what God's really worried about. Um, it's not what he, he's concerned about. So the question is, what is God concerned with? What's, what's his priority? Souls. Souls, human beings. Restoration. Creation. Character development. Fruit development. Fixing marriages. Changing hearts. These things are God's priority, and they're things that can't be ordered. You can't just call someone up and be like, I'd like to be spiritually mature, and can I have a side of my friend being saved? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's not fast. It's not just something that you can just, I'm going to do this, and it's going to happen now. It takes, takes a long time. And we have some serious issues. And I'm not saying that like that guy's got serious issues. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but we have serious issues in our lives, things that we deal with, on a regular basis. We have friends and family members that are really going through it that need saved. We have marriages that are struggling. 
kids that are lost. We have God-given dreams, things he's planted in us that haven't been realized yet. Long-lasting pain and suffering, things that won't go away. Addictions that need broken. Issues that we've been dealing with individually, as a couple, as a family, whatever it is, for years and years and years and years and years. And we can grow impatient. And we can, we can start to ask questions like, God, you know, what's going on? You know, why is this taking so long? Are you doing anything? Like, are you, are you alive? Are you up there? You know, what's the deal? I would appreciate some sort of response. Can you do something? Like, the situation's getting out of control. What are you doing? We can, it's very easy for us to ask those questions, to get frustrated. And I believe this morning, I have an answer for you. If you're asking those questions, if you've ever asked those questions, you know, how long is it going to take, God? What, you know, are we going to get there ever? Are you going to change things? Are you going to change hearts, save my, my friends, my family? I think I have an answer for you. And what God, I believe, what he wants me to tell you this morning is that he wants to say, stop it. Stop it. Um, He, God is, he's not one that likes, and and I'll I'll give you examples in the word. I'm not just going to say this. He's not one that appreciates someone looking over his shoulder. He's not one to be trifled with. He doesn't like spell check. He doesn't like backseat drivers. He, and there's a difference here. That I'm not saying we don't go to him with our concerns. That's, that's a different topic. He wants us to go to him with our concerns, praying for our loved ones, all those kinds of things. My marriage, my family, work, whatever it is. Those are the things he wants. But in terms of the questions, God, how long is this going to take? What are you doing? Are you doing anything? You know, why is this happening? All those kinds of things. He's saying, stop it. And just like, you know, God was reminding me, the way that I use stop it, sometimes it's joking, sometimes it's not that serious, like, you know, at work, guys, stop it. It's not that big of a deal. Knock it off. Sometimes he's like that. Sometimes he's, he's patient and he's soft and he's gentle with us. If you think about uh, Tim, who preached a couple weeks ago, he talked about Elijah and how Elijah was in the cave. He was running for his life. He just had saw the power of God do some crazy things. And he was scared of this woman who wanted to kill him. And so he ran for his life. And he's in this cave. And God said, go to the mouth of the cave. I'm going to pass by you. Huge storms come, wind, rocks breaking, earthquakes. All this stuff is happening. And God says nothing. And then there's a gentle quietness and a whisper. And God spoke in that. And he was soft and he was gentle. And he said, what are you doing, Elijah? And he talked to him. And he encouraged him that way. Sometimes God does that. But... Sometimes God doesn't do that. He just, he just doesn't. Sometimes, as a parent, I have to be very serious with Isaiah. I have to look him in the eye, and I have to get down in his level and tell him to stop it, to knock it off, to quit. And I feel like God needs to tell us that sometimes. He needs to get loud, and he needs to be, stop it! What you're doing right now, knock it off. And, and I think sometimes... You know, we think God wouldn't do that. And, and when we look in the word, you, you would, you'd be wrong. Because God does do that. And he doesn't do it often. You don't see it a lot in the Bible. But you do see him when he needs to. He will do that. Um, that leads us, go to, go to Job 40. Let me give you a little background on Job, okay? Because I think sometimes my life's difficult. And how many of you know other people can have a situation that's more difficult? They they. They differ from person to person. And some lives are just more difficult than others. And that's just the way it is. Job would have had one of those lives. He was a very wealthy man. He was a righteous man. He respected God. He loved God. And for, from his point of view, if you're looking from his point of view, nothing changed. Nothing happened. There wasn't like some major crisis or situation. In one day, his 10 kids are all dead. They're having a party. Walls, ceiling, everything fell on him dead. That same day, because he was wealthy, which wealth is found at that time in camel, livestock, all that kind of stuff, all his livestock is gone. So all his, he loses his kids, he has 10 children, dead. Loses all of his wealth, same day. And then a little later on, he loses his health. He starts to get boils all over his body. I've had a boil, they're not fun, okay? If you remember, if you saw me at the time, it was a huge thing on my neck. It was very obvious. It was disgusting. 
the, but they're, they're nasty. They're not fun. He had them all over his body. So if anyone has a reason to question God or feels like they have enough, you know, this horribleness has happened to me, I can question God about stuff, it would have been Job. I mean, I don't know someone who has 10 kids, okay? But for all of them to die, um, this is just a very difficult situation. And Job is raising these questions. He's saying, God, why did this happen? Why I'm a righteous man? Why do things happen to the righteous and not to the ungodly? You know, David asked a lot of the similar things, Solomon in the Psalms. Why, what is going on? You know, wh- what are you doing? Why are, and God hadn't really explained it to him. And that's what happens in our lives. We go through things and God doesn't show us the book. He doesn't say, all right, this is why I'm doing it. I'm going to let you know you're going to go through this trial and this is what's going to happen. None of that happens. And Job is, he, he doesn't sin in the fact that he doesn't curse God. He doesn't say, God, it's your fault. How dare you? Anything like that. But he, he simply questioned him, questioning him on his motives. Uh, why, why is this happening? And the Lord's response, okay? I want us to see this because God does not take a back seat. He does not treat this lightly. He treats it very strongly. Look at verse six. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. First thing we need to recognize right there. With Elijah, he spoke in the quietness, in the stillness. To Job, no. He speaks in the storm. This is a show of force by God. He is putting his chest out, about to put Job in his place. Okay, that would be a bad spot to be in, I think, for all of us, if we were ever in that situation. So let's see what God says. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, that's not good. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in all the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Yikes. So God, he's mocking Job right here. God wouldn't mock people. I don't know how else to take that. I mean, talking to him in the storm, there is some attitude coming across. God is fed up with these questions. How dare you question me? Okay, is what God is saying here. And what he's doing, he's resizing Job. He's helping Job to see his place. And it's not a bad thing when God resizes us. Because as humans, we tend to be very prideful people, very proud. If we're left to our own devices, that's where we go. That's what we become. We do the best. We are the best. We think highly of ourselves. We think lowly of other people. And that's what Job was doing. He didn't really know he was doing it, but he was. And God calls him out on it right here. God doesn't appreciate, like I said before, he doesn't appreciate people second-guessing him. He understands that we're human, okay? He doesn't destroy Job, but he lets him have it. He lets him know. And if you, if you have your Bibles, jump to Isaiah 55. I think it'll be up on the screen. Verse 8 through 9. This is why God is upset with Job. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So he's essentially saying, Job, look, you you just don't know what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. You think you know. My thoughts, they're so far higher. They're so far greater. They're so far more complex than you will ever have in your life. Don't question me. That's what he's saying. And, and why did God do it here and not with Elijah? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's up to God. Um, but Job's questioning, it really gets, gets to God. And God's had enough of it. And Job, he's a righteous man. God is blasting him, essentially. And he does what we need to do when we question and we, we kind of don't trust God. Look at uh, Job 40. Job's response is perfect. It's exactly what we need. You'll see it all throughout the Bible. Then Job replied to the Lord, 
I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So remember when I said this was going to be encouraging? Are we getting there? Um, This is encouraging. And this is very encouraging because what God is saying here, he's telling Job, look, I'm in control. I have it. You don't have to to think that you have to do it and you have to make sure that I'm, you know, dotting my I's and crossing my T's. That's not your job. You know, I have it. This is completely under my control and the way that I want to do it. And I know better than you. And, And God's not being prideful when he says this. He's telling us the truth. It's just the way it is. You know, there are some people in your life that are just smarter than you. That's the way it is. Isaiah's already smarter than us. Like, like there's some people who just think things faster than you. Um, you know, in sports, someone's pretty much always faster, always bigger, always stronger, until you get to the very, very, very top, 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 top. But someone is always smarter, and God is saying, look, I'm just smarter. I know what I'm doing. You know, in your life, you can affect maybe three people a day, four people a day, I can affect billions at once. Like, I know what I'm doing. Just let me do it. So the question is, what are our responsibilities? If we, if we aren't in control, if we're supposed to give God control, what can we do? What do we do? First thing that we should do is trust. Is trust in God. Romans eight twenty eight. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me read that again. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That is God saying, trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. This situation might be horrible, Job. You lost your kids and your whole livelihood gone in a day. I know what I'm doing. There's a reason for it. You have to trust me. Deuteronomy 31.6. This should be up on the board. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 18, three through four, this one I think is maybe the most telling of all of them. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That verse isn't about trust at all. What do children do? They're solely dependent on their parents. Isaiah's four and a half. He's not going out working a job. He doesn't worry about if we're eating. He worries about what we're eating, of course. But he doesn't worry about if we're eating, where the roof is, you know, how things are being paid, if the bills are being paid. He doesn't worry about any of that. He gives it all to me and mommy. It is our job and our responsibility. And it's interesting that it says there, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of the child, that is an action that we have to do. It doesn't just happen to us. We have to actually make ourselves be dependent on God. We have to actually make ourselves trust him. Take our hands off of what's going on around us because we really can't change it anyway. But he's saying, stop trying. Just give it to me. Be dependent on me. I will take care of you. So the first thing we need to do is trust. The second thing is wait. Back to that waiting. Yum. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That means it's not easy. Whatever you're going through, if you need courage, it's a hard situation. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Ecclesiastes 3, 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He makes it beautiful whenever he wants to in his time. And that should, I don't know about you, that brings me freedom. That brings me freedom because God has given me dreams and things he wants me to do. He wants our family to do things that he has planted in my heart in his time. So I don't have to worry about, all right, I'm gonna, I gotta make this happen and I gotta do it. I gotta be proactive and really attack it. 
I mean, yes, I need to be a good steward of my time. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I can't control everything. I can't control what happens day to day. I can't control my future. If I follow God, if I trust and I wait, he's going to do it. It takes a lot of pressure, a lot of weight off our shoulders. The third thing we need to do is persist. Be persistent. Jump over to Luke 18. And again, it'll be up on the board. 18, 1 through 8. This is Jesus talking. So if anyone knows about this, right? I mean, I know the whole Bible is inspired by God. Uh, but these are Jesus' words right here. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. Finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So I'm not talking this morning about questioning God. I mean, I, I am, but what I mean, this, this verse this story right here. It's not about the questions, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Why is this taking so long? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, bring your request. Be specific. Don't, pr- don't talk to God and second guess him. That's, not, that's what Job did, and he got blasted for it. What God wants us to do is to bring our problems straight to him and be specific. You know, if we have a loved one who is lost, someone who's really just going down the wrong path, and they need God to turn him around, he's the only one who can do it, Go to him and go to him daily, day and night, and do not give up. Because God is, God is basically giving us a license to nag him, right? That's what he's doing. This woman is bothering this judge, and finally he's like, all right, whatever, you know, do it. And that's what God is saying. Don't let me forget. He's not going to forget, but I want to hear you every day telling me this needs done. I want to do this. God, God, help me. Help my, save my family. Save my friends. Help with work. This is a very difficult situation. Our finances, you know, whatever it is. And one person that came to my mind um, when thinking about this last point is Lucinda. If you don't know her, she, I don't know if she's here today. Lucinda, there you are. There's Lucinda. So every Wednesday night, we do prayer requests. And what does she ask for? That God would save her husband. Every single Wednesday night that she's here. Every single one. So not only is she praying, but she's getting 30, 40, 50 people to pray along with her every single Wednesday night. That guy has no chance. Okay, your husband has no chance. Um, But I mean, like, that's, that's what God's talking about. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen the answer, don't give up. Persist. Do not give up. I want us to take a, just a quick moment and think about stories in the Bible. The one thing that the Bible does that I think it's overlooked and overlooked a lot is the time that lapses. Years will skip by in a paragraph, just, just gone like that. If you think about Moses, okay, if we know the story of Moses, when he kills the Egyptian and he gets exiled and he leaves, he then comes back, God does all the miracles, signs, everything, and the Israelites leave, right? The whole time he was gone, it's about 40 years long time. That's a long time. For God to put in your heart, I want you to to set my people free. It's going to take 40 years for you to just sit out in the wilderness. It's a very, very long time. Abraham, okay? If you you know that era, it's a very patriarchal system. The, The father has a son, passes everything to the son. He has a son, passes the son, and sons. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have any boys. I don't know if he had any kids. I didn't even look at that. Um, he has his first son when he's 86. He has Isaac when he's 100. So he knows, I gotta have a kid or all my stuff. Who knows what's gonna happen to it, you know? And then God promises him a child and it's at least 14 years till that baby's born, till Isaac is born. That's a long, 
long time. I mean, these are real people. These are just people like us. You know, Abraham, I don't know anyone in here who's waited 86 years for anything. Right? I mean, that's a, that's a long time. And, and the hard thing about the Bible sometimes is you don't get all those details. You don't get the struggle Moses went through dealing with what he had done and what he had coming. And, and how do I do this? And there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And is it now? Is it, well, God, why is it taking so long? Like the back and forth and the turmoil and the struggle and Abraham. I mean, think about Joseph. Heather preached about Joseph a few weeks ago. He was a teenage boy when he had the dreams that he was going to lead and rule. And then he's, you know, left for dead. His brothers almost killed him. They sold him into slavery. He gets accused of adultery. He gets thrown in prison, gets forgotten, left alone. I mean, that's, it's like 13, 15 years, whatever it is. That's a, that's a rough 15 years. David, okay? I mean, the list goes on and on. David is anointed king as a teenage boy. And he becomes king 15 years later, 20 years later, something like that, I think. And that was just over Judah, right, Judah? And then he was king over all Israel like seven years later. So that whole time, if you know David's story, he's running for his life. Because the current king, I'm not giving up my throne, right? So he is trying, he is, there are constant assassination attempts on David everywhere he goes for like 15 years. That's a difficult life. And it leads to the question, God, what are you doing? Why, what is going on? You promised this. You promised me this. And he wants us to stand on his promises. But at the same time, we have to trust. We have to wait for his timing because he's got to work so much. You know, I think again about Moses. I wonder, the Bible doesn't say this, it's just me thinking, but I wonder if he was ready to leave the people out of Egypt after 10 years. But the Pharaoh wasn't in place. The right people weren't in place in Egypt. He was still working on their hearts. He was still working on the people of Israel that they would be receptive to Moses. Like there's so much going on that we just don't see and understand. And that's why Isaiah 55 is so important. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So this morning, what category do you fit in? Are you trusting God? Do you have trouble waiting? I know I do. We've been waiting for how long with Victoria? It'll be three years in May. We've had this baby girl since she was two days old. It'll be three years in May. Why is it taking this long? I don't know. But it is. That's, that's just the reality. It is. It's taking this long. We wanted to adopt her the day we brought her home. And there's no reason that she should be in the system for three years. But she is. And why? I don't know. Why is my daughter dead? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I don't know God's timing. And someday, I'm going to see it all clearly. When I get to heaven, it's going to be a clear picture, and God's going to show me. But there are signs along the way. People have been touched by Elle's life. It's just the way that it is. People have been affected by her. We have been affected by her. Our kids are being affected by her still, the ones here. So we don't always understand, but we have to realize, and that's what I want to get through this morning to everyone here. We can trust God. He is trustworthy because he loves us. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He's not, he lights Job up here, okay? In Job 40, he lights him up. But he's a good father. We sang a song this morning. He's a good, good father. He didn't obliterate him. He did do that to some people in the Old Testament but not his kids, not his people. He's patient with us, overly patient. And I'm so thankful for that because I can ask these same questions and we have before about Victoria. Is it gonna end? Like, are we gonna do this forever? Like, God, what, what are you doing? But he's asking us to persist and the cool thing is about God is he's asking us to stand. He's not asking us to fight. He's just saying stand. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. They didn't do anything in the fire. They stood in the fire. They just stood there. They just stood there and God fought for them. So this morning, we're going to play a song here in a minute. Um, Eric, if you want to get that ready. But I just feel like God is, is asking the question, you know, what, what category do we, do we really struggle with this morning? Do we have trouble trusting God? Do we have trouble 
trusting that he really knows best, that he really sees every single angle of our situation and of the solution, and he is working to that. Do we believe that, but we just have trouble waiting? Are we going to get there? Like, God, it's hard to wait, and it is hard to wait. And do we have trouble going to God? Because I think sometimes for me, I can trust him because I know what he's done in my past. I can wait because I know what he's done in my past. He's, he makes good on his promises. I have trouble being persistent, going to him daily with what I want, with my needs, with, with, the th- with Victoria's case, with all those things. It's hard for me to do that daily. That's where I need to work on. But what category this morning? So I'm going to ask this morning, as, as we hear this song, and you know what? God works things out because I'd never heard this song before in my life, and I heard it yesterday, and I know it's for a reason. It talks exactly about this, giving God control of our lives, relinquishing control. And so if that's you this morning, if you're a control freak, just own it. <laughs> just own it. But, but God wants us to give it to him. He wants us to break that. So this morning, as this song plays, I want to open up this whole front area or your seats. It doesn't matter. I just want us to get alone with God and really search our hearts. You know, what areas do we really struggle in? Do I have trouble trusting you? Do I have trouble waiting? If it's going to take 40 years, do I have the patience? Do I have the persistency to make it that long? God wants us to be standing in the end. We have to get there. You've been listening to a sermon from Louisville First Assembly. For more information, visit www.firstagonline.com. That's www.firstagonline.com.